The Speaking of Cults podcast is presented solely for general informational, educational, and entertainment purposes. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked from it is at the user's own risk. The views, information, or opinions expressed by the host and guests are solely those of the individuals involved and do not constitute medical or other professional advice. Hello and welcome to Speaking of Cults. Uh, This is Chris Shelton, your host. Welcome to the show. And as you can see, this week, we're going to get right into it. I am joined by Chad Harris. Now, he was uh, on the Shiny Happy People documentary that you all might have seen recently. Uh, It's on Amazon Prime. If you have not seen it, you should check it out. It is all about the Institute of Basic Life Principles and the Duggar family and the religion and dogma connected with all of that. That sort of unites all those things I just talked about. And uh, if you're a longtime viewer of my channel, you'll know that I have done video work on this pretty extensive work. Actually, it took me a year to put it together Uh, years ago, way before Shiny Happy People on the subject of Bill Gothard, the creator of the Institute of Basic Life Principles. And um, and then the uh, and then Chad. I am, I am who was my guest here this week, uh, was not only in this documentary, but he was in it because he was raised in this dogma under this belief system uh, in a family that followed this. And we're going to hear about that story today. So, Chad, welcome to my show. Thank you a lot for having me, Chris. Uh, it's great to finally sit down and talk with you. I know we've been uh, setting this up for a while. So, hey, I uh, really do appreciate this opportunity. Thanks you for your work, too. Yeah, no problem. No problem at all. Now, you are, um, we were talking before the show, and you were, I was asking you, well, how do I, I how do I kind of describe you in terms of your professional uh, work these days? And how, what, 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 how did you describe this? <laughs> well, I'm a, uh, I'm a TikToker. Most people probably know me from that before, Shiny Happy People. And I am also uh, one who uh, takes down at least the cult I was raised in and fundamentalism in general. And at this point, taking down IBLP in particular has become something of a hobby of mine. Um, uh, And I say that not too flippantly because after everything that's happened so far and after all the exposure, IBLP is still a thing. And I take every day that they're still open as a personal insult. Um, I would like them to completely disband. I would like to see restitution made to people that they harmed. And that hasn't happened yet, so I'm not going to shut up till it does. There you go. And uh, and this is an institute. This is an, an organization uh, founded by one man, Bill Gothard, and uh, mm-hmm. all the way back in the 1960s uh, when he was doing graduate work. And there's a whole story there. Um, we're not going to cover right the second, you know, Bill Gothard's biography. I want to talk to Chad, but um, but there's a long history to this. This goes back to you know its real boom period was in the 1970s. This is an old group that was doing a lot of work that was attracting the attention of hundreds of thousands of people, and uh, and created this sort of homeschooling institute where Gothard's biblical interpretations were put into a book form for children, along with an awful lot of biblical scripture and memorization of Bible passages and a whole lot of other indoctrination techniques used on these kids in their homeschooling in order to keep get, get and keep them in the biblical frame of mind, according to how Bill Gothard said this should all be. So, Chad, ha- did I get that right? Is that kind of the environment you were raised in? Oh, absolutely. Um, And the thing is, you know, Bill Gothard, um, 
what he did in, in my view was he took a very popular um rift as it were he came up with all these ideas of authority and these basic principles that christians had to live by or they would not be successful in their life and you know he started off uh, with the uh, institute in basic youth conflicts like you said back in the 1960s and 70s uh, expanded that as he kept adding more uh, parts to it, you know, because one thing I don't think a lot of people realize is that Bill Gothard never stopped trying to find a way to monetize his teachings. Um, the homeschooling portion was by far the largest and most successful part of that. But he also did a bunch of other things like, uh, you know, he tried to uh, take over orphanages in Russia after the uh, Iron Curtain came down, which was sort of in addition to the uh, uh, homeschooling thing. It was just a completely separate branch. Uh, he founded oh, that's, that's a, a... That's a new one on me. I had not heard about that one. Yeah. Wow. He Yeah, he founded a um, he founded a law college, uh, like a private one and everything, that was a uh, spinoff of IBLP as well, the Oakbrook College of Law. Uh, he also, at one point, attempted to sell this product called Sonic Bloom, based on his beliefs that classical music uh, revitalized healthy cells. And so if you play classical music at plants, it would help them grow better. Uh, and of course, it came with some vitamins that actually did all the work. But uh, yeah, he, he was constantly finding new ways to take his you know worldview and monetize it uh, to an unsuspecting uh, crowd. And I think he just happened to strike gold with the homeschooling portion of it right at the time he did, because homeschooling was just starting to become uh, an option for people who had tried and failed to push back against uh, integration of schools racially and, you know, who and who painted themselves as concerned parents that their kids were being taught worldly values and having to be around people who weren't like them. And all that came to a head uh, in the 80s where a lot of parents just decided to start taking their kids out of school altogether and teaching them at home their own indoctrination and beliefs and nice. bill gothard and his uh followers uh capitalized on that by creating the advanced training institute homeschooling curriculum which was his most successful grift and uh probably the one that formed the basis of a lot of others as most of us who were raised in it grew out and tried to find ways to apply our so-called skills in the world you know <laughs> yeah exactly and i remember as well this was something that must have helped fuel this just in terms of cultural touchstones of the time in the 1980s was certainly the satanic panic uh yes. which you know very much would have been alive and well within this world of the iblp and the and the gothard's christian followers um these are intensely christian people you could say uh yeah yeah. And it's funny you should mention the Satanic Panic because uh, Gothard didn't miss a chance to capitalize on that either. He tried to start a panic over the Cabbage Patch Kids uh, somehow being a, uh, <laughs> a way for demons to come into your home. Matter of fact, I was uh, sharing on another um, uh, uh, talk I was giving uh, earlier last week where uh, he put out a medical bulletin that claimed that by ridding a house of Cabbage Patch dolls and troll dolls, which were also popular in the 80s and 90s, um, they, they were seeing reports of uh, home births uh, becoming more prevalent and more successful uh, after families had cleaned their houses of those toys. It was all ludicrous and it was all a bunch of flim flammery, but uh, he used the satanic panic uh, to 
you know, further like promote his beliefs and ideals and monetize his, uh, cause he was obsessed with uh, the medical fields and medicine as he saw fit. And he actually tried a few times very unsuccessfully, thankfully, uh, to create medical facilities that were based on IVLP teachings. He believed that you could, uh, get a medical degree without having to go to college. They would just do apprenticeships. And they tried this in several of their training centers, and it just always kind of fizzled out. Right. How interesting. Again, that's a new one on me, the medical training thing as well. I had not heard about that. Um, these institutes, there there were, this is, uh, this, this homeschooling thing was very interesting because th there's a number of directions to take with this that are fascinating in terms of cult dynamics, relationships, and how they are built and how they are uh, indoctrinated. And I want to be clear, I think, though, from the beginning here, because uh, I usually end up saying all this stuff at the end, and let me get, let me lead with this this time, that th this is not a matter of, of, of an attack on beliefs. My right. show, this interview, the efforts that I think, uh, you know, both of us are engaged in here are not about trying to deny people the right to believe what they want or how they want to perceive their relationship with God. I really don't mm -hmm. care. I couldn't care less what people think about that. Why should I? It's in their heads. It's not in mine. I have my own ideas about it. So I don't, that's not what this is. But we need to be clear about the fact that a certain percentage of people within this group have used these principles that Gothard laid down and the techniques that he laid down, and these are pretty hardcore techniques, and these are pretty hardcore, you know, fundamentalist, you could say, very, you know, literal-minded kind of interpretations of biblical passages, and Gothard's interpretations are controversial even within the Christian world. So that's one thing, but how those interpretations are used to treat children and to treat women in this group does not exactly conform with modern values and ideas about human rights. And that's mm. where I have a problem. So um, when you look at, you know, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, when you look at our basic civil rights and our Bill of Rights here in America and our laws, you see that people are entitled to make their own decisions about their own lives, all kinds of things. And a lot of these rights and ideas are sort of stripped away from people within this belief set. Again, Chad, am I getting this right? No, you're you're absolutely right. We were taught that uh, concepts such as human rights and self-esteem were worldly inventions that were created to uh, detract from biblical truth. So, you know, we were taught that they were merely buzzwords and untrue concepts, when in reality, we were taught to uh, abide by authority, like a uh, yeah, one thing that Gothard was very uh, clear on in one of his seven basic principles was the principle of authority. Uh, that it, you know everything had an authority structure, particularly uh, in the home. So men, particularly fathers, uh, were at the top of the hierarchy in a home. Uh, women were right underneath that, and of course, kids were at the very bottom rung. The idea, of course, being that Christ was over all of it, and this was displayed as what Gothard called the umbrella of authority. So it was basically a multi-tiered umbrella that uh, showed how if you stayed under all of these layers of authority, there was no way that Satan could get to you 
um, through all these trickeries and machinations and everything that he was constantly writing down. And so to seek self-esteem, to seek uh, your own invaluable hum or inalienable human rights, as it were, uh, was considered to be rebellion against that authority. And you were taught, we were taught as kids that we were in danger of stepping out from underneath that umbrella and being uh, suffering anything from like bankruptcy to illness to death if we uh, ever stepped outside of authority. Of course, the unspoken layer of this umbrella was that Gothard considered himself above everything. And ultimately, a lot of families, not all, but a lot, um, would actually listen to his directives on how to run their homes. And that got to be a huge issue. Yes, exactly. The whole authority structure is something I definitely want to talk more with you about. I thought we might... Um, now that we've sort of set up a little bit here in terms of what it is you were raised in and what this sort of backstory to um, the Duggar family, who is a part of this whole operation, the Duggar family are believers in Gothard's methods of child rearing and of um, belief in God and, and their Christian faith. And um, and so they're tied up with this. And a lot of people know who the Duggars are because they were featured on TLC for many, many, many years. Uh, I have many very strong opinions about this, um, you know, that it should that 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 none of this ever should have uh, been given the validity and credibility and and fame and fortune that it was. And I and I hope after this episode, you'll agree with me. Um so that's kind of what this is that we're talking about. And you've got some idea now of what that is. And we're going to go back over uh, more of that later. But I thought we might uh, pivot a little bit here to Chad. I'd like to know your upbringing or your story personally and how you fit into this world that we've sort of uh, described here. Certainly. Well, I was uh, born into a independent fundamental Baptist preacher's home. Um, so the independent fundamental Baptist church is, um, essentially a denomination that isn't a denomination. Like they very proudly, uh, follow fundamentalist Baptist traditions, but they have no overarching authority, no central board or anything that they answer to. It's just independent churches that are loosely connected and all believe in pretty much the same things. Um, so my dad was actually a independent fundamental Baptist preacher. Uh, he studied, under the leadership of a man named Jack Hiles, who uh, ran Hiles Anderson College up in uh, Hammond, Indiana, and in my opinion, was a cult leader unto himself. But that's mm -hmm. a whole nother um, that's a whole nother topic. Uh, the fact is, though, Dad, you know, started in on his career uh, studying under high controlled uh, authorities and authoritarian preachers and such, and that's what he modeled his own ministry after. And so he was very attracted to any preachers or any teachers who exhibited that whole hardcore authority ethic. So when uh, after I was born, my my folks happened to be in Europe at the time. My dad was pastoring a military work in England. Um, we came back to Alabama because my dad was losing his hearing, and he decided to uh, just you know come back home to where he had been raised and you know start preaching here, where it was a little bit easier to seek care for his hearing and such. And um, after we got settled back in, uh, they had had a stint of teaching my older siblings, because I was uh, number four of four kids at the time. 
Uh, I was 10 years younger than my older brother, so I was very clearly not well thought out, <laughs> and they let me know that. Um, but yeah, when they came back here to the States, uh, they had experimented with homeschooling when they had uh, lived in Europe. They didn't want my uh, older siblings to really, like, you know, uh, intermingle with the uh, you know, the ideas of European schools and stuff. So they had experimented with it, but then they thought, well, why don't we raise this one entirely homeschooled? So they were trying to find a curriculum that would work for both myself and my older brother. And with such an age gap, there was, um, there was just a lot that wasn't compatible with uh, what we needed to learn. Um, and homeschooling was very young back then. It was, uh, you know, the early nineties, it hadn't really taken off as a movement as it is today. So about about this time, my mother was entering her 40s, and she went to an OBGYN uh, here in Birmingham who was a Christian. They always insisted on, you know, a Christian doctor and a very staunch one at that. And when they talked about, you know, ha maybe how to avoid having another situation like me come up, uh, the doctor said, well, why don't you leave the amount of children you have in God's hands? And they said, what? And he said, yeah. He said, you do everything else by what God directs. Why not this? And he gave my mom and dad a copy of a book called A Full Quiver. And that was my parents' introduction to what's called the Quiverfold Movement, which the Duggars were also part of. Now, I want to make a distinction. Pretty much everyone in IBLP was Quiverful, but not every Quiverful family is IBLP. That was kind of a stepping stone into IBLP. Right. There's and a then diagram of, of overlap and underlap with these things that'll just kind of make your head explode if you, you know, if you, if you put too much of this together. Uh, but yeah, exactly. the best way to put it is there's overlap. Yeah. There's a lot of overlap. Yeah. So uh, after that, um, my folks decided to go to one of the basic seminars with this particular doctor. And uh, they all went into the homeschooling portion of it, uh, ATI together, because we were taught that the booklets that came with ATI could be taught to anyone of pretty much any age from age six to age 18. So, and by the way, this was absolutely not the case, but that's, <laughs> that's for further on down the road. But basically, um, they started, uh, teaching myself and my older brother out of this curriculum and, you know, they did it because it was cheaper than having to get like individual grade books and such. And eventually I became the first, uh, because we started when I was about seven years old and I became the first fully homeschooled person in my family. And, uh, the vast majority of my career, except for maybe the first two or three years, uh, was, you know, all IBLP. I had some other books to supplement, uh, some of the academics, uh, that I needed, but honestly, like the core of it from, uh, 6 a.m. till noon and maybe a little bit beyond it was all iblp stuff so uh we and did this did, now what when we talk about iblp stuff i want people to it, could you oh, yeah. just kind of describe for people i want people to understand that this is not three or four books um <laughs> on, you know with some lesson plans what what is the IBLP curricula as it was given to you at seven and as you proceeded forward? So the Advanced Training Institute curriculum uh, consisted of fifty four wisdom booklets. They called them. They were all paper uh, stapled together booklets uh, that 
purported to teach everything that you would need to know academically ever. Everything from science to mathematics to medicine to law, uh, what have you. And they would do it, it by taking... 54, 54 books. 54 books. Yep. And they would take, um, in order, portions of the Sermon on the Mount, so Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in the Bible. Uh, they would take it one or two verses at a time, and each verse or two would get an entire wisdom booklet made about it. So they purported, like, in these one or two verses, you can learn all this about math, science, uh, law, medicine, and everything from these two verses. And then the next book was like, here's math, law, science, medicine, everything for these uh, verse or two. And uh, once you finished all 54 booklets, you were supposed to go back through and do it again. Uh, for as long as you were in school. Now, ideally, you were supposed to do one set of wisdom booklets every year. We were a lot slower than that. It took us several years to get through them, but um, they they formed the basis of you know anyone who was raised in the system. That you know those were the booklets that we used. And keep in mind too, like these were kind of relics in time at that point. Like they were made in the '80s, and they didn't get updated until well into the late '90s, early 2000s. So we were already learning outdated information as we were going through it, uh, especially when it came to things like science and medicine. And some of it was just flat wrong. Um, Gothard believed in things like yeah, sorry. give me some examples. So Gothard believed in things like chelation therapy for various illnesses, which, you know, does help in certain cases, but he claimed it would help in things like, uh, well, say cancer and stuff like that, uh, which is not medically proven. But the wisdom booklets themselves said that uh, many people in the medical community are scared to uh, experiment with medicines that are not uh you know, subject to the scientific method and stuff like that, which is a terrible thing to tell a child about the scientific method if you're trying to teach them to be a functioning adult. Yeah, it's a terrible <laughs> framing. Many doctors mm -hmm. are afraid. It's sort of like yep. yeah, many fishermen are afraid to jump in the water when there's a shark there. I mean, with good reason. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. like, this is not an illogical decision on the part of the doctor. This is, uh, you know, mm -hmm. we want things tested. We want things certified. We want things side-checked five different times. Uh, that's not an unreasonable request, unless you're Bill Gothard. Exactly. Wow. Another booklet uh, talked about, and I, I forget if this was about, uh, you know, just how the eye works or, or lust. It was one of the two booklets. But there was an entire section on how to dress modestly, focusing primarily on women where they had uh, pictures of women wearing various hot fashions of the 80s at the time, and you would have to go through and label what was wrong with each outfit and how it would create eye traps for, uh, for men to lust after them. That was in our supposed academic curriculum. Oh, okay. so, uh, eye yeah. traps. That's how they put it, eye traps. Mm -hmm. That was the exact wording. Right. So we do have um, this this loaded language starting to appear right here. Um, mm -hmm. you know, these little phrases, these little things you said. What was that? Eye traps to attract your... What was that? To attract men to lust after uh, lust. women. Yeah, basically. To, to draw right. attention... First, the, the, the way they put it was, these eye traps draw attention away from your countenance or your face, essentially, and they draw attention to other parts of your body which will make 
people list. Right, right. Men had these, men had rules they had to abide by too, but not nearly as many as women for right. reasons of misogyny. <laughs> well, you can't have any of those eye traps, you know? So if a guy's wearing a tie, he's all good because he's all covered up. See, but women, those lustful women. Uh, yeah, so this was something that was, now at what age do you remember i'm just curious about this at what age were you learning about eye traps and lustful you know uh visions is this seven eight nine i mean how long did it take you to get to that stuff about there um i want to say wow. it was about eight or nine i had no clue what they were talking about um right. i just knew that you know mom wanted us to really focus in and learn this part and by the way after i was born i did have it you know two younger siblings born after me when my mom was well into her 40s at that point so then she had the fun uh the fun job of trying to teach me and them at the same time all around the same table which was frankly impossible and you're teaching all these kids things like eye traps and stuff like that so and and you saw bits of this with the duggars as well like very famously they had that code word nike that they would yell out uh to alert all the boys to look down at the ground uh whenever someone wearing um you know lustful clothing walked past so that's right right. i was gonna i was that's where that came from i was gonna mention that because uh uh, in my earlier work on this, Christiana had brought that up, and I never forgot it. Mm-hmm. It always just kind of stuck with me. Nike, what? What? Got to look at your shoes. What are you? Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, let's let's make children afraid of the world because of clothes. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's you just you know, and this is this is not a small group of twenty or thirty extremists. How many, you might know better than me, how many, how many people are we talking about to subscribe to this? I would say ultimately in the tens of thousands at one point, um, we used to fill up the Thompson bowling basketball arena at the university of Tennessee in Knoxville every year for our big homeschool conference. Like that was, that was the big one that, you know, we, uh, that we had to, you know, congregate at. If you could afford it, which a lot of families couldn't and a lot of families really couldn't, but made it happen anyway. And that arena would hold around 10,000 people. And I'm sure there are a lot more that couldn't make it. So uh, and that and considering, you know, just how many people Gothard reached with his seminars and stuff like that, uh, you know, it would easily be in the tens of thousands. He claims a lot more like millions and such, but uh, I'd probably take anything bill gothard says with a grain of salt (laughs) yeah for sure i believe there were hundreds of thousands of people reached likely Uh, i would actually say probably millions over the years going from 70s to 90s to 2000s but membership wise i think it's a lot like scientology a lot a lot you know they're probably inflating their numbers enormously yeah i'm speaking specifically to people who did the homeschooling portion of it because right. that was so much of my life for so many years but oh, fair enough. uh you know yeah. a lot a lot of people have asked me about that they were like well did you know the duggars at that time <laughs> i've always said if i did i didn't notice them because you know how many large families were at these conferences like at the time it probably would have been 12 kids and that was pretty much your average at that point you know yeah, exactly. so yeah, yeah it wouldn't have stood out to point. me at the point mm-hmm. lots of kids they really like yep. kids. Okay, so um, all right. So I was just got it. Got, sorry, I got a little curious about some of those oh, cool. principles and stuff. Um, so this is a cyclic program, and you said rarely were other materials brought in 
So do we have the fundamentals of reading and writing and, and math in here too? Like how are these biblical passages related to math? I, I, what, connect those dots for me. Oh man, I wish I had a wisdom booklet pulled up right now, but uh, matter of fact, <laughs> I, totally I could just, pull I'm one totally up at the moment. Throwing these questions. Oh, you're fine. No, that that is that is. I'm glad you are actually because you know that helps me. Uh, yeah, that helps me have uh, more resources on hand. So I'm pulling up one right now. But essentially, you know, Gothard would just take. Um, if nothing else, he would just take like certain Greek words uh, from the original uh, Greek of the passage, or at least, you know, however much we have of the original Greek, and just try to say, well, you know, if you look at the number of words in this passage or how they're arranged and everything, you could probably, uh, you know, pull some math out of that. There was always some way he would twist it. And a lot of times, uh, to my memory, like a lot of the math sections of this curriculum had very little to do with actual math at all. Like a lot of it was, uh, just estimation and stuff like that. Okay, so for example, in the very first wisdom booklet, um, you know this the whole uh, the whole math section, which is literally just two pages, is about why we must learn mathematics, and it relates back to this whole idea that Jesus saw some multitudes and went into a mountain. So. Uh, they say we must learn mathematics to discover the nature of God because he's precise, accurate, absolute, and predictable according to his laws. And they have a couple of like long division, um, like long division uh, exercises to try to determine the uh, estimate the size of a crowd, right? Uh, so mm -hmm. putting it back to the multitudes. Um, to become productive in our work, to develop godly character, um, to avoid loss and failure, and to discover the number, uh, the importance of numbers to God. So it was never like you can never just learn the uh, concepts in and of themselves. It always had to tie back to some kind of pseudo spiritual idea that you know learning this will make you more spiritual and make you more acceptable to God himself. It's not so much that, you know, if you were struggling with, say, multiplication, that you were just having a hard time with something or you needed to try a different tactic. It was that you were spiritually deficient if you could not learn this concept. This was in our homeschooling, in my in my homeschooling experience in particular, and I know from several others I've talked to, that was always the implication. If you were struggling in a particular uh, subject, that meant that you weren't applying yourself enough spiritually. It didn't mean that the curriculum was wrong. It didn't mean that you know the way you're being taught by your very likely unqualified parents was was wrong. It was all about this is how you become a spiritual person, and this is how you tell if you measure up. All right. So um, got it. Totally got it on that. And that whole blame the victim thing is classic, classic, uh, you know, sort of predatory, narcissistic, whatever you want to call it, controlling behavior. Let's put it that way. It's very controlling yes. behavior. Um, always keeping people, you know, uh, uh, uncertain about themselves, unsure on unsure footing. Um, always, you know, oh gee, I'm, I I might mess up here. You know, this kind of thing is exactly where you want them, because then, mm -hmm. then they're easier to control. Um, so this was your upbringing educationally. Now you appear to be somebody who can speak and write and probably do some math. Was how how did like was there a GED at the end of this, or how do you go from this cyclic, you know, fifty four booklets to 
now I'm a now I'm a graduate of school. How do how do they determine that, or how do you get certified? This is something that I've been advocating for for a long time. There is no real oversight of homeschooling uh, in in the United States. Like each state handles it differently, and most states just will not touch it, uh, which is hilarious because. We were always taught growing up that at any point the government was going to swoop in and take us out of our home and force me to go to public school because I wasn't learning what they were learning in public schools, right? Mm -hmm. So um so so it's funny because, you know, a, a, on the one hand, you have a government that really does not want to touch most religious matters with a 10-foot pole and mm -hmm. I mean, you can see that with, you know, just how Scientology is treated if nothing else. Um, but on the other hand, you have this culture of fear uh, to where, you know, folks feel like they're, they're going to be persecuted just simply daring to buck the system, as it were, when in reality, you know, they pretty much have the cultural upper hand at this point. So at the end of it, uh, so getting back to the question, at the end of it, um, after you've done all your wisdom booklets and after you've arbitrarily done enough by your parents' definition to graduate, because I graduated at 17, and honestly, I probably shouldn't have. Uh, <laughs> I should have had some real education at some point. Um, our cover school in the state of Alabama, because that is one very minor regulation Alabama had, um, you had to have a Christian school as your umbrella school, as it were. I get back to umbrellas. And they had to vouch that you have been learning your stuff. Uh, our umbrella school was run out of my dad's church that he started by my older sister, who was like 30-something at the time. Uh, she maintained all the records and basically rubber-stamped everything mom sent her. And at the end, they gave me a piece of paper that said I was a high school graduate. Now, whether or not it's worth the paper it's written on is still a subject of some debate, as I found out when I tried to apply to certain colleges. Luckily, I had decent ACT scores, and I have kind of skated by on that. But, um, yeah, there really isn't a true way to like hold any kind of academic standard to any kid who's homeschooled in pretty much any uh, situation. And I don't want people to misunderstand. I'm not down on homeschooling as a concept. I know of many families who homeschool for uh, very valid reasons and who are eminently qualified to teach their kids. And I don't have a problem with that. What I do have a problem with is uh, people using the lack of, uh, of any kind of controls over homeschooling to try to indoctrinate their children into a mindset that's going to set them up for failure. And I feel like that was something that I definitely lived through. And anything I've accomplished in life has been in spite of that education and not because of it. Yeah, there we go. All right. Well, that makes sense to me. Um, I cannot agree with you more. There's a, there's a very, very deep, very deep, very awful hole that we are standing right on the precipice of right now and talking about this. Uh, in fact, we're kind of teetering over the edge right now as we're doing this, um, because you've just said, you know, there's no regulation over this homeschooling in terms of standards or this is how it's done or this is when we know you're finished or here's some testing. You're absolutely right. And it actually gets even worse because then if you go into um, the troubled teen industry, which, you know, okay, so if this doesn't work and the kids, you know, rebelling and not going along with the program, 
then there's a whole nother level of awful of how those children are dealt with in terms of sending them off to labor camps and this kind of thing, which the IBLP also got into a little bit. Um, did you have to experience any of that or were you adjacent to that in any way? Can you speak to that? No, I was threatened with it a lot growing up, but uh, it never actually happened. Yes. Oh, yeah. You were aware um, of the fact that this was a bad place you didn't want to go to. Yes. And what uh, was there was the, the log. Oh, yes. It was a uh, there was a log cabin program that I knew of in particular in Arkansas, where um, if you've seen shiny, happy people, they talk about that's where they sent Joshua Duggar after he molested his sisters. And um that is that is the most famous one that i remember there is also uh because gothard had built all these training centers around the world essentially and some of them were for you know like various seminars or some side programs uh there was one in indianapolis uh that we called the indie training center that was for what he called leaders in training now leaders in training was the euphemism for troubled youth um you know, the idea was that they had, you know, such courage and such bravery and everything that just needed to be tamed a little bit and talk character and stuff. When in reality, these kids were forced to, um, you know, abide by these very strict rules and, you know, be punished severely physically and otherwise if they ever stepped out of line. Uh, Oklahoma had this to an extent as well. A good friend of mine, actually a couple of good friends of mine have reported, you know, that they were kept in isolation up there for breaking the rules and stuff. Uh, basically, solitary confinement, um, meals just basically slid under the door and stuff like that. And these were programs that, um, you know, were sold to families saying, hey, if you're having issues at home, just send them to us and, you know, we'll fix them. That's and right. they did anything but that. Compounded on that, of course, too, was I was part of the Independent Fundamental Baptist Church, which also ran their own, um, you know, youth youth camps and homes and stuff like that, uh, that also, um, you know, let, let themselves to abuse. And I was threatened with those as well. So everywhere you turn, there were people more than willing to harm and abuse children in the name of, uh, you know, this religion. And they had no oversight over them as well. Exactly. This is, and that is the, it, what you just said is uh, key to this. There was no oversight or regulation of those log cabins or any of these other troubled teen industry things. This is a whole other subject in itself, which I definitely am going to be doing future work on because this is something that is not talked about enough. Um, but we're right on the edge of it here with this because this is the gray area where it goes right over into that. And that whole log cabin thing is an example of what I was talking about. You just send kids off. It's sort of like, um, you know, for those of us who are familiar with the Scientology thing, it's like an RPF. It's like a place you send somebody. It's like a prison camp. They can't leave. They don't have free will. They don't have right to say what they want or think what they want or walk off if they want. Um, and they are often mistreated um, physically, sometimes sexually. They're labor trafficked. I mean, it's it's bad. It's really bad. And um, and so I wanted to kind of just say that all because it's not just the IBLP, but the IBLP is part of that network of awful. So, and I would also argue that IBLP contributed to the problem because one of their closest allies when they first started was a man named Michael Ferris. And he founded what was called the Homeschool Legal Defense Association or HSLDA. 
that uh, ran out of uh, Washington or at least close to Washington, D.C. And they spent they took money from several hundreds of, if not like thousands of homeschool families to promise to protect them if the government ever did come in and swoop and swoop up and or pressure them in any way to be accountable for their children. Like HSLDA was such a powerful lobbyist that they essentially shut down any early regulation of homeschooling at all. And, um, yeah, and, and of course, uh, later on, they would become a huge part of what what was covered in Shiny Happy People is the Joshua Generation movement, where they would then try to take those homeschooled kids and put them in positions of power in government. Sure. So sure. it was a whole feedback loop. And, you know, it, it was all kind of spearheaded in a in a sense by IBLP because they worked very closely with the HSLDA way back in the day and leading up into, you know, the early 2010s. Right. Yeah. It's yeah, it's a, it's nasty stuff. There's yeah. um there's a lot of layers to it you could say. And I don't want to I don't want to try to in saying that I'm not trying to brush off stuff, but I also don't want to give the impression that there's some big vast conspiracy. You know, it's not that's not what I that's not how I look yeah. at this stuff, right? Sure. What how I look at this is is wheels within wheels, right? There's a lot of different people mm -hmm. trying to get a lot of different things done. And it just so happens that in the evangelical world and the government world, these two things come together and that Venn diagram comes back into play, right? Of like all this overlapping interest. And that's where we see this kind of thing that you can call conspiracy, but I don't really think about it that way so much as just these people are very, very motivated to change government so that it conforms with their idea of how to raise children and how to worship and how to, you know, uh, demonstrate their or, or live their beliefs. And it just so happens that those beliefs run a directly counter to human rights. So... <laughs> that's the crux well, and, of the problem you know well and and even in addition to the possibility of you know of, of changing government and changing the laws and everything in their favor you know this sort of power and this sort of attempt at getting power is very lucrative like yeah. people like michael yeah. ferris and bill gothard and everybody they never went hungry bill gothard had a private jet you know like right. uh, ultimately it, it it ends up you know both making them rich and helps consolidate you know power and keeps them unaccountable uh for for all the harm that they did that's right no there's a lot of money flying around all over the place here and and again political connection i mean jim bob he, he was a house of representatives member right Many years uh, for for the for the state uh, Arkansas, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, state level is state level. That's not something right. to look at. There's power there, exactly. and money changes hands, and there's deals that get made at the state level, just like they do at the federal level. You know, um, yeah, Mister Twenty Three and counting, uh, Twenty Three million and counting. So, um, okay, now we were talking about you and your upbringing. So I kind of harped off on that whole education thing. But what else was there to your own upbringing in this? um in this environment and culture so you know i i consider myself to have gotten off easy compared to some of my peers because a lot of a lot of them went to these training centers uh very famously um you know my my friend heather heath uh, who was also in the docuseries she talked about her time in oklahoma city uh, my good friend uh, lindsey williams also in the docuseries she experienced abuse at headquarters itself in oak brook illinois i was spared a lot of that because my family decided to go back over to europe 
And frankly, you know, as I was uh, being raised over there as uh, missionaries to the Netherlands and Belgium, because, of course, two of the most Christianized rich countries in the world definitely need Jesus. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we stayed there for years, and uh, my parents, you know, spent so much time over there and so much resources trying to get a church started over there that we didn't have enough to really send me back over for uh, stuff with IBLP. So I was spared that much. However... The teachings themselves, and the fact that we mostly hung around other IBLP, uh, you know, taught people. Like even in Belgium, there were two families in particular that we hung out with most of the time. Uh, one was a Canadian family with thirteen kids. One was a American military family with six kids, and they were all ATI uh, homeschooled. And we mostly spent time around them because you know, we were looking for people of like mind to to always hang around. So we didn't get to really experience a lot of the diversity of being in another country and with other cultures. We kept ourselves isolated in our own little bubble, even in Europe, which I deeply regret to this day. And oh, another okay. thing that had a huge impact on my life was in 1997, when we went to the um, homeschooling convention in Knoxville, uh, I had to be part of the alert cadet program. Now, if you remember the little paramilitary group that they had in shiny, happy people, uh, the young men and matching uniforms, uh, playing military and stuff like that. That was part of what I was uh, raised in for those three days at the conference, which for me might as well have been three years because they were the most miserable days of my life. I've never been a very athletic kid. I was always more the nerdy type. I had a little Commodore computer. I like coding stuff on, you know, that was my interest. But uh, all of a sudden I was put uh, like out in this muddy field in Tennessee. And I was told, oh, you got to do all this military stuff now because that's how you're going to prove that you're a spiritual man. You know, you have to go out there and uh, do all these physical challenges that I had never done before in my life. I didn't know how to do a push up. And they had me out there like running obstacle courses, rappelling down the World's Fair Tower and Knoxville and stuff like that. A lot of my friends loved it. I hated every minute of it. And I failed a lot. The rappelling, I fainted. They had to pull me back up. Obstacle course, fell off the zip line tower, uh, crawled over the hurdles, got you know, got lost in the climbing uh, wall. It was a whole thing. And I'll never forget, that was my 12th birthday. My dad took me out that evening after running through all this horror all day and sat me down and told me that the reason I was failing was I wasn't spiritual enough and he had failed to teach me how to be a future leader of my family. It wasn't that I just simply didn't know how to do these things or I wasn't inclined to do them or I just needed to go out and, you know, run a few laps around a track now and then. It was I failed because I was not enough. And that was the theme of my entire schooling in IBLP. Everything mm -hmm. you did was not enough because you were never spiritual enough. Gothard would always find some spiritual reason why bad things happen to families, be it, you know, the cabbage patch kids in, in a home creating demonic influences, or maybe the dad failed to pray a hedge of protection around the family that day, which was another thing they taught they had to do. Or maybe we weren't doing devotions every day like we were supposed to. Like if you did not do everything they prescribed, then anything bad that happened to you was your fault. And that 
was probably the most damaging thing to me growing up and the thing that I struggle to this day to unlearn through therapy, through, <laughs> through, you know, just basically reprogramming uh, to right. try to, you know, be a functioning adult in this world. Yeah, I hear you on that. That is one very powerful aspect of Scientology and of many cult belief sets and systems is the devaluation of the individual, right, of the individual member. That any problems, any issues, any any uh, difficulties they're having, any failures on their part are consistently and only their fault because of their lack of devotion, faith, belief, uh, spiritual investment. Uh, sometimes it's directly tied to one's financial contributions as well. Of course, well, you just haven't given enough. But it's usually a little more subtle than that and a little bit more direct and a little bit more in in like introverting. It's the, the it's an attack on an individual's sense of self and and a, and it and it weakens them. And the reason that I'm gonna harp on this for a second is because when you do this to a child, you know, when you do this to an adult, let's say, let's say this: when you do this to an adult, it's one thing, right? You've developed by the age of 25, your brain's developed by the time uh, as as much as it's gonna. You've developed about as much sense of self as as you know you you're going to by that point. Uh, unless it is suppressed, unless it's pushed down, unless it, unless you are oppressed in your development as a child through ideas, repetitive ideas like this one, because it, it, words hold power and rip and mantras. <laughs> when you tell a child over and over and over and over and over again, that he isn't good enough, isn't strong enough, isn't faithful enough as demonstrated by his failure or her failure to live up to you know expectation x y or z and as you've so aptly described here already which you're never even prepared for in the first place you're set up for failure then you're told you're a failure and you're told the reason you're a failure is because of your failure to have enough faith, spirituality, belief, et cetera, right? That's called spiritual abuse. It's a term for that. It's an actual thing. Exactly. We don't like say, oh, well, that just sounds morally wrong. No, this is abuse. Mm -hmm. As I'm describing it, this repetitive action, because you're, you're actually suppressing a child's Stages, natural, organic stages of development. You can look this stuff up. That's what's happening with this. And that's what's happening to these homeschool kids in this circumstance. And it doesn't matter, you know, if the mom or the dad loves their children, wants the best for their children, is investing thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars in their education. If this is what the education consists of, you're screwing your kid over. That's what's yep. happening. So it's not a matter of you don't care enough or you're not spending enough or you're, you know, your homeschooling is bad. That's That has nothing to do with the point of what I'm trying to say here right now. you know. But I am soapboxing because this kind of stuff really pisses me off. No, and you're right on. Term abuse, right? Yeah, I mean, you hit it right on the head. I want to touch on, too, on what you said yeah. about the devaluation of the individual. Uh, and I know, I know you've seen this in Scientology, but um, 
it's, it's the devaluing of most of the individuals, but then there are those individuals that they tend to give more value to than others. You know, the people who are held up as prime examples of, you know, what, what everything could be. Uh, Cause they would, they would constantly, <clears throat> sorry, they would constantly put uh, people up on stage at these conferences of model families that, you know, you should model your family after, and here are the people who are doing it right. And in many cases, a lot of those families ended up having terrible uh, internal struggles and, you know, it ended up broken or uh, otherwise, you know, highly damaged and it would all come out later, but then that would be swept under the rug and a new model family would come in. Consider this. Uh, I was reading Jill Duggar Dillard's book uh, where she talks about her experiences in IBLP conferences. And in their very first one, they saw the model families up on stage and the Duggar family, uh, you know, decide amongst themselves, oh, we'd never be like that. Like, you know, that we were just so far away from a model family, you know, that we could never uh, be held up as a model family of IBLP. Please understand, the Duggar family of 19 kids and counting, arguably the most famous model family of IBLP, never thought that they could live up to what was on stage. And even what was on stage back then was a lie. And I know you see it in Scientology because Scientology has their celebrities and their higher ranking members, you know, their public faces that they love to show out there that enjoy special privileges in the group. IBLP was the same way. Absolutely. Of course they were. And this is actually even uh, relatable to non-religious activities that pull this crap too, like multi-level marketing schemes. You know, you go to Amway or you know, uh, or, you know, these kind of Herbalife or something, these great big forums and seminars they hold and stuff. And all the people on stage who are rah rahing about how much money they're making are two steps away from being bankrupt, if mm -hmm. not already there. Uh, we've heard the stories. We know that we already know this is true. This isn't even suppositional anymore. Um, you know, it's all fake. It's shiny, happy, fake people. <laughs> That's kind <laughs> of the, the, the word to insert in the middle there that doesn't quite get get on there the imagery kind of shows it with the with the with the faces but exactly. um yeah this is this is not good stuff and um and by the way before we um you know before we proceed i also want to point out that while i just went on a whole soapbox about this long-term spiritual abuse that happens with these kids there's physical abuse as well Yes. Okay, now, 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 sexual abuse is not baked into this system. It's not dogmatic in this group to sexually abuse children, okay? It happens, and Gothard even did it, but not dogmatically, you could say, right? In other words, it's not ritualistic, but physical abuse of children is. Mm -hmm. Please describe so physical abuse of children uh, was used as essentially a way to break the will of the child, as you know, Gother would say, you know, because there was this constant belief that children were strong-willed and they needed to be conquered so that they would be put under authority. Yep. So methods like blanket training were um, popularized in IBLP, which was a which was developed by this horrible couple, uh, Michael and Debbie Pearl, who, you know, cr created these books that were distributed and sold at IBLP uh, meetups, uh, where you would take a infant, place them on a blanket, and then entice them to get off the blanket and then physically hit them uh, when they reached off the blanket to teach them that the blanket is your boundary. This is where you stay. You don't go beyond this. And 
Methods like that were used throughout childhood. Thankfully, I was too old for blanket training when we got into IBLP. I was already like seven or so. But, you know, I was subjected to long, uh, punishing hours of physical abuse whenever I did anything wrong because my parents made it very clear that they wanted to break my will. They considered me to be a strong-willed child. And so, you know, they would just, you know, keep hitting me until I stopped registering an emotional response. I got very good at just shutting down. And yeah, I'd be fully conscious. I'd be, you know, responsive to an extent, but I would just shut down all feeling period. Um, so it's called dissociation. Exactly. Yeah. It was dissociation is something I've still struggled with to this day, but this was played out in so many other survivor stories that I've talked to. Um, some, you know, even had, you know, worse physical punishments, um, applied to them than I did. And it's, yeah, it's just what got me when I when I saw Shiny Happy People because I didn't get an advanced screening. I saw it at the same time everybody else did. The second episode where this one IBLP preacher, a lot of people think it was Bill Gothard. It was not. It was another preacher who was affiliated with IBLP and was one of their speakers. He got a random child from the crowd to come up on stage and he demonstrated how you can physically abuse your children while still giving them messages of love throughout. That was the point, you know, all the way up to that point, I've been okay. That was the point where I told my friend Heather, I was watching it with, I said, we need to stop. I said, right now we need to pause it. I need to process just what the hell just happened there because that entire ritual was what I had experienced over and over and over in IBLP. I just had never seen it demonstrated on stage in front of all these people before. And I need to add all these people who were laughing at the semi-comedic way this guy was demonstrating it. He was he was being dead serious about it, but he would all also like give a little slide nods and winks to all these parents who had done it before. The fact that these thousands of people were laughing and not one of those parents ever said, stop, this is too much. You can't humiliate this child like that. That broke me. And because I had seen it happen so many times and it was a feature, not a bug. Cause a lot of, a lot of folks I've talked to who, you know, tend to downplay how this cult operated would say, well, not every family did that. Or, you know, well, okay, maybe some families were abusive and everything. I'm like, no, this was prescribed. This was, right. you know, if you wanted to be a model family, you had to do this. And, uh, and, and I hear you what, where you're saying like sexual abuse is not dogmatic or built into the teachings of this, but we were taught and there is a publication going around from IBLP where they would teach children who had been sexually abused to first see how their own sin could have caused that abuse. Yes. Ultimately, every single abuse that happened to children and to vulnerable people in this group would all go back on the victim. And yep. the people who perpetrated the abuse would essentially have everything covered up because you were taught you have to forgive the people who abused you. And then once that's done, it's never spoken of again. No justice is done and you're setting yourself up to be abused again. It was exactly. there a go. horrible cycle that played itself out in so many families. Exactly. That's that mechanism actually enables any level of abuse yes. of any kind. And um, and thank you for bringing that up, because that is that is the next place I wanted to go is that circle 
that circular logic, right? We touched on it already. You know, everything is your fault. It's your lack of faith, belief, investment, et cetera. We're, we're not kidding about that. When you've lived under it, maybe it has a little bit of a different reality to me or to Chad than it does to you who are listening or watching this right now. So let me please again reinforce this is a constant, continual messaging to undermine your ability to stand up for yourself or your ability to have any power in the relationship or situation because of that whole authority, that whole umbrella of authority thing. Um, and this is this this is based, and we might as well get into this now. This is based in uh, one of Gothard's seven biblical principles. He laid out these mm -hmm. seven principles. Now, this is his invention. This isn't, this is based on biblical quotes, but as I've said already, a lot of people in the Christian world who have literally responded to this in writing professionally saying, Gothard doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. That's not what that passage means. That's not how that goes. That's not what David meant there, right? Or whatever. And they, and there's a lot of conflict about this and about how Gothard has interpreted the scriptures, but he did. And he came up with these seven principles, and he says, this is how you live your life. And to this day, I find it, um, you know, odd and tragic uh, that you can't find Gothard anywhere on the uh, website for the Institute for Basic Life Principles now. But his principles are right there, all seven of them on video being discussed by, you know, very polite white boys who are, you know, very sure of themselves. There's no women anywhere in any of those videos, I notice. It's all men, right? And the young men. And they are, uh, you know, going on at a mad rate in these videos about how wonderful these biblical principles are. So uh, if you wouldn't mind, and uh, we don't necessarily have to do all of this from memory, but would you care to kind of break down, you know, we, we could spend days on this, by the way, guys. There's a lot that Gothard put into writing about this stuff. And I broke it down in some earlier videos, but let's do this again here today. What are these principles and how are they gotten, you know, they're, they're, they're taught to you through these workbooks, through these, these, uh, these homeschooling right. books and through the seminars. But how did this come to you? What was your experience of this? And what so, are these? Yeah. So these principles essentially were, you know, the core teachings that Gothard built everything else on. Um, he claimed that, you know, by teaching these to troubled inner city youth, he was able to change lives. And this would, you know, guarantee that everyone who followed them would Jesus better, essentially, <laughs> you know, be, be better Christians. Um, but I mean, that's, that's basically that's, that's in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the, you know, so I, I'm just looking through it here. Um, if you ever do look up these principles yourself um, at home, uh, you will notice that um, you know you will have a word, and then you will have definitions underneath me. This was also Gothard's mo. Uh, anytime a word or a concept was introduced, he wouldn't go to the dictionary definition of it, or he wouldn't explain it as a normal human being would understand the concept. Uh, he would always give an operational definition of what that word meant or that concept meant, uh, meaning that he would redefine words on his terms. A great example of this is the 49 character qualities that he would teach to all of us. We had to memorize them. We had to memorize each operational definition. And there would be things like wisdom, for example. Wisdom to you and me would probably mean, oh, insight, perception, 
I'm going off of D and D, but you know, someone who is inherently a very, a very perceptive or 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 knowledgeable person, right? His definition was seeing life through God's perspective. So it wasn't about your uh, perception as a human being or your knowledge. It was about you know seeing things how God or their interpretation of God would see them. So with that in mind. Um, just looking on the site here, he said, you know, the very first uh, principle is design. Uh, subtitle, How and Why God Made Me. Subtitle, Discovering God's in Intricate hand Handiwork in My Physical Aspects and the Circumstances into Which I Was Born and Learning to Lay Aside Culture's Facade of the Ideal and Accept God's Ultimate Purpose of My Life. So right off the bat, they're telling you that, you know, there are certain aspects of yourself and they'll be happy to teach you what those are that you can't change, nothing that absolutely cannot change about you. And God needs you to be that way in order to accomplish his goal. It's never about, you know, being the best version of yourself or accomplishing your goals. It's about how does this benefit God? And one of the ways that they would hammer this in was a song about Again, the number seven, the seven unchangeables. Um, so I'm sorry, or was it ten unchangeable? Well, it's been a while now. Um, yeah, my bad. It, it, it was always a numbered list. Uh, it, we, it was like you know, our, our education was just one big cracked article after cracked article. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it would always start off like one. I am one of a kind. Two for my mom and dad. You can't change your parents. Three, four, my brothers and sisters, they're the best I ever had. You can't change your siblings. Then your nationality, which, by the way, you can change, but they claimed you couldn't. Uh, your mental capacity, whatever that is. Uh, your The time in which you were born. Well, duh, you can't go back in time. And then, of course, your gender identity, which was another unchangeable, as I said it, which I did miscount. It was 10 unchangeables. But um, that one, of course, was, you know, basically transphobic before transphobes, um, you know, really hit the mainstream. So, sure. and, and it would go on and on. They would tell you all these things you can't change about yourself. And also, you know, here's how we define you. Here are your spiritual gifts. They would tell you like how your particular personality fit into how you could benefit the cult. And that was supposed to be how, you know, your gifts were to be used for God. It was they would give you like this personality test, much like Scientology, and they would determine if you were a uh, teacher, if you were a giver, if you were a person who displays mercy, if you were a prophet type who would you know speak out against evil and you know preach, if you're an exhorter who existed to encourage everyone else. Like these labels were applied to you, and that's how you were expected to conduct yourself. So. Right away, just from that one principle design, you start opening up a whole bunch of doors into how you can be controlled to do the cult's bidding. And I know yeah, that was a exactly. huge info dump, but I mean, this entire system was built to be that vast and that confusing because, you know, as with every other cult, they start you in on a basic concept and then take time to get you into the really weird stuff. Yeah, well, exactly. Thank you. That's exactly right. And you can see the depth of this. That 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 is a thank you for that info dump because it gives you a a deeper look. Right? You can go. Okay, design one of the seven principles. Okay, yeah. God designed the universe. Isn't that wonderful? Oh yeah. And the term itself implies a purpose and an end result. You know, here's here's this wonderful design we have from God. 
And that's the surface level. But then you just described how it goes deeper. And then and in those deeper bits, it's hooking you to it. It's it's chaining you to it, if you will. Right. Because here's these things you can't change. Here's these things that are always going to be this way. And here's how you have to accept that this is your role and place in the position of all of this master design that you're just kind of plugging into. And it's all about knowing your place. See, because ultimately, would you agree that these seven principles seem to focus around or all have as a common denominator the concept of submitting to authority? Mm -hmm. And usually they'll be couched in terms of submitting to God, but in order to do that, you have to submit to your God-given authority first, and therein lies wow. the rub. Anytime they talk about using your gifts for God and what have you, they they mean using your gifts for IBLP or your parents or your local church and stuff like that. It was never anything for yourself. Right, exactly. So basically, I guess the big kind of cardinal sin that we're having a real problem with with this whole thing, in addition to the fact that it opens the doors, because of the wording and the way the structure is put together and the way the culture operates, we've already shown you all there's a rampant physical and spiritual abuse that goes on in this group towards children. This is, this is uh, as far as I'm concerned, we've laid it out. It, it, here it is, right? That's how it works. Um, that's baked into the system. And so the culture that's developed around these beliefs already does that. Do they all do that? No, of course they don't all do that. But if they do, there's nothing in the system that actually stops them. That's where I have a problem is like, well, if somebody does go wildly off the rails and beats their children or their wife or something all with this whole submission to authority thing and then uses this system to justify and rationalize and keep them silent and continue to abuse them using this system to do that that's wrong and this system enables that kind of behavior at least it seems to from how i've observed and seen and heard about this what do you think oh i agree like the system is designed to protect the ministry first and foremost, and in addition to that, the people who are running it and the people who stand to gain the most from it. So, you know, these principles um, are used, like you said, you know, even if they're not explicitly outright stated to perpetuate the abuse, they have that effect, and they are built to lessen the accountability of people when they are caught uh, committing these horrible offenses against children and against vulnerable people so they can continue on unabated. One of the basic right. principles is suffering, responding to the hurts inflicted upon me, or seeing how reaction to offenses produces fuel, not resolution, for ongoing detriment, and discovering how to transform bitterness into genuine forgiveness. One of the main things I have been told since speaking out against IBLP and against my upbringing is that you sound like a bitter person, you know? So, and in IBLP world, that means we can safely ignore everything else you say, because if you still have a problem with it, then you must be bitter. You have not experienced forgiveness in your heart. And therefore we just don't want to be part of that because bitterness is poison. And that is and that's what's being taught here. 
because going back to that whole uh, sheet that told sexual abuse survivors, you know, how to um, how to look at their own lives and see how they may have contributed to it. It all ends in this idea that you need to forgive the person who wronged you and only then can you be free. And that forgiveness means cutting them loose from any consequences of anything they did, legal or otherwise. Like, uh, I remember reading one of the uh, one of the resources that Gother sent out, where a young man who had been abused sexually uh, was told, you know, because he had been sent to IBLP for behavior problems. Obviously, kid had trauma. And the person sat down with him and said, you know, Daniel had his body violated by being made a eunuch by the Babylonians, and yet he still helped the Babylonians. He forgave them. How do you think you should, uh, you know, feel toward your abuser? And they showed that as freedom, but that terrifying idea that you cannot get justice for the things that have happened to you, and you, in fact, are beholden to the people who have committed this to you, just continually perpetuated abuse. And as we saw in Shiny Happy People, Gothard capitalized on that. Gothard himself you know, kept young women in cycles of abuse against his own teachings. I've always said you know, being the perfect IBLP, IBLP person was impossible. Not even Gothard could do it, and he wrote the damn thing. <laughs> but he would use these principles to try to, you know, perpetuate it because these these young people who have been raised in this knew, and he could suss out which ones kept it, uh, you know, close to heart, that they couldn't say anything, that if they felt wrong, it was their fault, and they needed to just simply move on and forgive him and let him continue to use them. It was... It riles me up thinking about it, to say the least. But, it, I mean, that is why I'm so passionate about, you know, trying to hold Bill Gothard and IBLP accountable. Because they have used these principles to avoid accountability for so long. It's got to happen at some point. Exactly. Let me um, let me throw out a little idea here uh, about this as maybe we move toward uh, wrapping up today with what we've discussed. Because I don't want to overload people with you know, even yes, more sir. of this, because there's more that I think you and I might do talking about some of these principles in the future um, or breaking them down, maybe, um, you know, a bit more piece by piece so people can kind of see the anatomy of it. Because I loved that, quote unquote, info dump you just did with um, with just design, right? Because it shows the depth of this and you did it pretty quickly, too. And I'd like to run through all of them that way. But I'd, I'm realizing why well, I don't want to necessarily do that today. So let's bookmark that for another episode. But I think a point. What do you think? Yeah, that's fine. I'd love that. Yeah. OK, cool. Good. Um, but I'd like to say this, though. You just mentioned the whole thing about freedom and then you describe slavery. Yep. And I just thought, wow, how Orwellian. It's right. It's right out of there. And freedom equals slavery. You know, you are, you are free by forgiving your oppressor or forgiving your abuser. You have freedom to go back into that system and be abused again. Mm -hmm. How's that freedom? That's not freedom. It, there's no there, it, forgiveness doesn't doesn't mean anything if no responsibility is taken for the act in the first place. How, you know, how are you? That doesn't even make any sense. Matter of fact, it's compounded even further, and I and I have to mention this. Yeah, uh, one of the forty nine character qualities is obedience. That these were all the character qualities we were supposed to uh, exhibit. Um, the idea of obedience was 
eagerly yielding to God's word rather than following my own will. It's eagerly yielding. It's this idea that, you know, you can be free if you are, you know, involved in God's will uh, rather than being slave to your own. It's this idea that, you know, only true freedom can be found in constant subjugation. You're right. It's Orwellian and it's done on purpose. And every aspect of this cult was built to, to maintain that. that. That's exactly where I wanted to go. That's exactly right. You have a system here. And we will break it down for you, and I've already done it already, you know, years ago, and and we'll do it again. But I but I think we've described here today already a very clear cut picture of how this system is actually kind of built to reinforce this obedience authoritarian model. Now, if you run around in life thinking that's a great way to live your life, and that that's how everybody should be, then you and I are just fundamentally divergent in our view of what a good life is. Because I don't think submitting to, you know, other people's authority as the theme of my life makes a lot of sense. I've already, I already spent decades doing that. It, it didn't lead me to happiness. Uh, mm-hmm. So there is that. But the point I wanted to build or, or reinforce that, that you basically just made is this was a system designed by an individual to serve him. Yep. And it creates a circular logic that keeps you trapped within the system when you try to go out of it or have independent thinking about it. And that's where it becomes, I just don't know another word to describe it except oppressive to one's free will and freedom to believe and act and do the way they, they feel they should. Independent thinking is just not something that's appreciated within this system. And that's by, as you said, by design. So, my question to people who are still part of a system like that, just like Scientology, by the way, same thing. So my question then becomes not, (laughs) it's sort of like, yeah, you don't have to be evil in this system, but it was kind of built by a sort of not so good person so that that person could do bad things and, be free of consequence. That's Scientology. That's IBLP. Yep. So why would you defend a system that was literally built for that? Right. And we can show how that, how that is used that way as we've, as we talked about today. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? I I, I 100% agree. Like, you know, I've had people, you know, tell me that I'm just, you know, down on Christianity or I'm down on, you know, uh, living morally or I'm down on, you know, just, you know, people wanting the best for their kids. And I'm not down on any of that at all. I personally, you know, am an atheist myself. I don't have much use for religion, but I also understand that there are some people out there that have found ways to make, you know, belief systems work in their life to make them better people. And I don't have an issue with that. I don't have an issue with the idea you know, that people find their happiness and find and write their own meaning in life through whatever means, you know, that they can, as long as they're not hurting and exploiting the vulnerable and other people. I'm okay with that. But, uh, and, and, you know, and that can all certainly be part of it. But what was done here so clearly, and if nothing else, the end results, you don't get this many people coming forward and talking about the abuse that happened in the system, unless there is a systemic problem and people who continue to defend Bill Gothard and IBLP, the fact that IBLP is still not claiming any responsibility for any of the abuses that happened on their watch 
it it boggles my mind, but it I mean it makes sense because of their because of how they benefited from it. You know, why would they want to change what they're doing now? But at the end of the day, you know, it just it it saddens me that there are still so many people that you know are quick to defend this because they think that they're defending some other um, aspect of the you know, a tangential uh, religious or belief system that they like. And I'm here to tell people, I'm just like, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to defend this. As a matter of fact, it, it would make me respect your position more. If you would keep things like this out of, of what you believe, don't allow vulnerable people to be hurt. You know, at the end of the day, that's, that's how I got out. I saw my friends being hurt and I saw others being hurt and I didn't sign up to do that. I would appreciate people, you know, considering that when they uh, immediately like jump in and say like, wait, wait, uh, but then they have some good points. Yeah. And they also had, but ultimately their points were, you know, the benefit of the people at the top. So exactly, exactly. And you can dive into the history of this. It's, it's, it's out there. Um, mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of stuff out there beyond the, the stuff that's on my channel about the IBLP and beyond shiny, happy people. This is documented stuff. There's been legal cases about this, by the way. There have been lawsuits about this. Uh, Gothard was removed from the board of the IBLP because of his indiscretions and sexual, uh, basically, abuse of uh, many young women. There were tons of accusations. Um, it just it was it was a nightmare, and uh, and this is a spiritual leader, right? This is a this is somebody who's, you know, speaking for Jesus. I don't I don't think so. Um, very 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 nasty man. Um, and the institute he left behind is still there, still operating, still forwarding his principles in the same way that Scientology is still operating, forwarding L. Ron Hubbard's, even though he, he ain't guiding the boat anymore, right? Um, kind of similar. So, all right, Chad, well, ah! <laughs> every, every chance I'll we get to that. raise awareness, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And hey, I cannot thank you enough, like, uh, for opening your platform, uh, for me to share this and, you know, continuing to, you know, show not just, you know, what these systems are, but how they operate. Like that is so key to raising awareness. And that's so key to keeping other people from, you know, getting hurt by these predatory institutions of the future. You're doing great work and I'm honored for you to have me on. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you, Chad. I, I swear I did not pay him to say that. I swear. Thank you, Chad. I really appreciate that. That is very, very, very kind. I want to I mean, thank you for coming on here. And I want you to, to uh, tell everybody if there's any way that they can reach out to you directly if they want to talk to you or contact you uh, after watching this. Certainly. Uh, well, I started telling my story on TikTok, and that led to uh, Shiny Happy People. I mostly uh, continue to make video vignettes there. You can find me at Arch Radish, which is Chad Harris mixed up. It's been a thing for a while. Uh, I am also on Instagram um, at ArchRadish85. And uh, sometimes you can see me lurking on some of the fundamentalist snark uh, boards on Reddit, also under ArchRadish. Uh, anytime you see the name Arch Radish in any form, it's probably me. So uh, you can reach <laughs> me right. on on mostly TikTok and Instagram. But uh, if you see me anywhere, just say howdy. I am not shy. <laughs> Excellent. Yes, very much so. And that's great. We'll have links to uh, or I'll put those uh, those ID names and such in the show notes for y'all folks uh, watching this today. Uh, and on that happy note, let's go ahead and wrap up the show for this week. Again, Chad, thank you very much for for 
being part of this with me. Thanks again, Chris. You bet. Um, folks out there, I want to kind of put a little plug out here at the end of the show. Uh, if you need to talk to me, if you want to talk to me, you can. Uh, I am I am here for professional consultation. Uh, so you can reach out to me via my website or uh, the email listed below. Uh, lots of ways to reach me. Uh, you can always find me anywhere on social media as well at Chris Shelton MSC. Uh, and if you want help with coercive control, some situation, post-cult control, post-domestic violence situation, you want some somebody to listen, somebody to understand, somebody to help you out, I can do that. I am not a professional counselor or therapist, and I will not be giving anybody therapy, but I can give advice, direction, guidance, and education, and I'm more than happy to listen. And on that, I will see you guys next week. Bye-bye.